I don't say it enough, but I am truly blessed. Welcome everybody to TK's A Brigade. I am TK. Today I am going to share with you an interview that I got to do with a legendary blues guitarist out of Texas. His name is Vince Converse. Now, for those that have been following the music series, when Michael Hornbuckle and I sat down, one of the questions I asked him was who was an influence for him on the guitar? And lo and behold was Vince Converse. I realized that Vince and I were friends on Facebook, so I reached out to Vince and asked him if he would come on the music series and talk about his journey. He said, absolutely, man. I'd love to sit down and talk to you. So I picked up the phone and gave him a call, and that's what we're going to listen to today. So stay tuned for that here on TK's A Brigade. All right, so tonight we are going to jump on the phone here in a second with my man, Vince Converse, and talk about his musical journey. So give me a second. Vince, what's up, man? It's TK. How you doing, brother? Hey, what's going on, TK? You know, that's my mom's initials, Thelma K. Schmidt. Nice, man. Well, I'm Travis Christopher with a K, Smith. Yeah. So that's why I went with TK, man, because there's too many Travises on Facebook. So That sounds like a CIA name, Travis Smith. <laughs> you know, like I said, I'm doing a music series, and, uh, you know, I was able to reach out to some different cats um, over the last month, and, you know... After sitting down with Hornbuckle, man, he had nothing but just positive, good things to say about you. And I was like, man, me and that cat, we, we're friends on Facebook, man. Maybe I could get him on and he could tell me his story. And so, you know, I reached out and you said yes. So here we are. Well, you know, Michael, uh, I'm glad he had good things to say because he was on the road with me for a couple of years on and off, touring out of a 15-passenger van back in the late 90s and early 2000s. So, now nah, he's my brother, man. He's uh, he's he's when I when I, I I pulled in from maybe Sturgis or uh, Utah or South Dakota. I don't know where I was one year, and I think it was like ninety eight, ninety nine, and and the Fox uh, classic rock station in town was playing, and I was listening in my van. We were coming in. I was dropping the band off because I had a Colorado band at the time. I'm from Houston, Texas, but I had a Colorado band. And I heard uh, him and his brother, their first CD, and it was a slow blues. And I said, who the hell is that? <laughs> and, um, and and he wasn't but 19. Wow. And I went to visit my mom. She was living in Colorado Springs from Houston. And um, I, was, I was sitting there watching TV, you know, tinkering on a guitar or something, and and Rick Lewis, the morning show guy from the Fox, called me and asked me to play a gig in his band with Lewis and Floorwax. And Michael just happened to be one of one of well, after me it was four guitar players, but one of three guitar players at the time. And uh, we hit it off, man, right away. The next day we hung out, we went and partied, we we bounced around, we went club, we went uh, bar hopping and um, and jamming. And we and we've been best friends ever since, and that's that's 20, 20 going on twenty three years now. Wow, so. man, that's awesome! In fact, you know it's funny uh, you say uh, Lewis and Floorwax. Uh, you know, back in the day, they used to call them Elu and Ricky. And uh, yeah, I used to deliver bagels in Fort Collins for this bagel company, and I did it in the morning. 
So I would listen to their radio show. And yeah. I absolutely loved to call in uh, during certain segments that they would have, you know, go along with whatever story they were talking about. But I, re- right. I remember when the Groove Hogs started, bro, and them cats, man, they came out with, you know, fire here in Denver. And so, I mean, to hear that, you know, you were kind of in the beginning there, man, that's that's amazing. So you said you came out of Texas. So is that where your music career started down in Texas? Or, I mean, what's... Well, uh, yeah, you know, I'm from Houston. So, big city. you know, I kind of grew up in a, in a poor neighborhood in, a, in, a, in the city of Bel Air, which is one of the oldest uh, uh, suburbs of... And it was, you know, it was white, black, and Hispanic, and and um, Central America, you know, and Mexico, and and and, it, and there was a lot of music. But my mother played; she was a folk guitarist and singer, and then she married a guitar player from West Texas, you know. So I I got a guitar for my 13th birthday, and and I just, you know, by the time I was 16, I was um, I, I we started a band that that hit it off really it was a power trio we played blues and 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 psychedelic blues and uh you know it was i mean my first gig was my 16th birthday and it was you know a gangster bar at another gangster bar and and yeah and 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 that's kind of how we grew up but you know the thing is is uh you know going to the jams and meeting all these people i got to hang out with uh Albert Collins and uh, Johnny Clyde Copeland and Clarence Gatemouth Brown and, and uh, you know, B.B. King's band members. And I met Johnny Guitar Watson and they're all from the Fifth Ward of Houston. And so they all knew each other and they kind of took me under their wing. You know, B.B.'s members, a guy named Joe Guitar Hughes, another horn player named Calvin Owens, who was B.B. King's band director. And uh, Grady Gaines, uh, saxophone player. You know, these are all Peacock Records guys. And right. Peacock, they went out of business in the uh, early 60s, but in the 50s, they were, you know, a Houston-based uh, blues and, and kind of jazz, you know, rock and roll, too, as well. But Yeah. You know, because the Black Cats, you know, from, from down south, they were playing rock and roll, too. And, um, you know, and... Uh, so yeah, I got lucky, and then I met Johnny Winters when I was sixteen. Wow! And, and he took us on. He took us on tour. Um, yes, please. <laughs> I, I that's one of my biggest things, bro. Is um, you know I've done music since I was six years old, and and even at that age, you know I always wanted to be the type of musician that was in one city on at night, and then the next morning on the tour bus, waking up or even in a van in a different city. So when you say you were on tour with Johnny Winters, man, that's, that's would you say at 16, bro, you're touring? I did a Texas tour, and I think maybe a little bit of Louisiana, but because um, I was still in high school, but, you know, playing four nights a week and and going to school, it was it was rough, because back then they write your parents a hefty ticket. Right. Problems, you know. Truant officers coming into your door, knocking on the door, saying, "Where's your kid at?" Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a school skipper until I, I met this cute little girlfriend. And once that happened, you know, it was like, okay, yep. was- forget about it. All right, so you, uh, you pr- primarily were uh, were playing around Texas and uh, starting to really just get your own chops and really starting to grow, like. At what point or ever, I mean, were, did you ever get signed to a label or were you, have you well, always been independent? 
you know, we we played a lot. We were doing a lot of open mics, you know, my, our first couple of years. And then uh, I think my junior year, we opened for Johnny or Jimmy Vaughn. And and it was a big show. And then we started hanging out uh, with people like Buddy Guy and George Thurgood and all these guys that were Heavy coming hitters. to town. Yeah. We, won, we, won, we won three Houston Press Awards, which is the equivalent of the Westwood here in town. And, and in fact, Billy Gibbons had given us our third award, um, presented it to us from ZZ Top. That's you know, amazing, ZZ, man. Dang. All right. He's a Houstonian. So I got offered a record deal my senior year and they wanted me to drop out. But my grandmother's like, look, you're the oldest. you got to set the example. So I set the bar, graduated, I signed a deal, went to New York, recorded my my first album with a band called Sunset Heights. And we did three albums uh, um, after that. My first record with Sunset Heights came out in 1990, uh, 91, on tape cassette before CDs were even out. Oh, yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, and so... Yeah, we did three albums after that, and and we toured six weeks in Europe. You know, we had a video that was uh, MTV equivalent to uh, European uh, uh, MTV uh, uh, broadcast, and and so we wound up, you know, doing the tour bus, doing the vans, trains, planes, and automobiles. Yeah, we did that for about four years. You know, three, four years straight, and. Um, and, uh, you know, and then I took a break and moved to, to all places, Deadwood, South Dakota. Man. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty remote considering, I mean, now were you playing music at the time or did you take a break completely from the scene and you just were like, I need a break. I need to clear my well, mind. I quit, I quit playing for six months when I moved to Deadwood and, okay. um, and I didn't, I didn't even touch a guitar. You know, I had a, uh, I was living with this, this chicken and I had a basement full of amps and guitars and I just, I didn't touch them. You know, I, I got a job at a ski lodge, learn how to snowboard. You know, I froze my butt off. <laughs> I bet. And I moved up there in the dead of winter. Anyways. So, uh, six months later, a friend of mine who was a good friend of Stevie Ray Vaughan, he's a Lakota nation, um, a guy from Pine Ridge and he lived in Austin, went to college there and his son, I met his son when he was about 14 uh, while we were on tour. He used to own a record shop. So he brought us to the house. He brought the band to the house. One, one time we were touring out there and, and he uh, showed us his record collection down in the basement. Well, his son was playing Texas flood. Oh, no, Stevie for Ray, baby. Yes. And, and he was playing Texas Flood note for note. His name is Brandon Sprague. He's an amazing guitar player out of uh, out of South Dakota. I moved, I moved there. I didn't pick up an instrument for six months. And he called me up. He said, Vince, I heard you're in town. He said, the fabulous Thunderbirds are coming to town. And um, yeah, and it was it minus Jimmy Vaughn. I think it was uh, a Kid Ramos and another guitar player. You know, Kim Wilson was the lead singer. So, anyways, um, they said, uh, they said, "Hey, we want. I want my son's band. It was a band called the Blue Flames, and which was cool because that was Jimi Hendrix's uh, first band, right? Right? Yeah. So, you know, he said, my son uh, can get the gig if you play with him. I said, oh, well, all right. Well, why not? I haven't played in six months. Why not? You know." And, 
And so I, I got, I, we went and did the, we rehearsed and we went and did the gig. We played 45 minutes set. And then it was off to the races. Then we just, we started hanging out and playing. And, um, you know, by this time he was uh, 18, 19 years old. And, and uh, you know, we, we played all over the region. And I was already doing Sturges. You know, we, we started doing gigs again and, and I and I fell in love again you know I was working construction in the summer I was working a ski lodge in the winter and I was playing music just constantly up there and it was it was a blast I had fun again you know I, I was playing blues yes you know we were doing like uh we were doing Archangels Dual Bramall Jr. and Charlie Sexton stuff and 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 a lot of Albert King, and, and, and we were getting funky, and, and we started getting into a jam bandy blues type band, and and it was fun again, and I had a blast. And uh, three years later, I got a call from Eddie Kramer. I came home from work. I think I was pouring concrete at the time, and I was sitting there, and I was cracking open a beer, and and I was listening <laughs> to. Uh, was listening to Are You Experienced, you know. Uh, no, I think, no, Electric Ladyland, which is one of my favorite albums. And um, okay. the phone rang. And, and the guy says, hello, mate, this is Eddie Kramer. And I'm calling from New York <laughs> City. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And I, cl- I hung up. Oh, you hung up hung on up him. Oh, Eddie no. Kramer. Oh. And, and, I'm, and I go back to doing my thing. And then, so... Uh, so he calls right back. He's like, mate, don't hold up, hang up, you know. You know, a friend of yours from New York wants to do a record with me producing, blah, 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 blah. I said, you're kidding, man. I'm listening to your stuff right now. So, you know, right now. Dude, you know. So, yeah, I got on the yeah, plane about totally. six months later and moved uh, moved up to New York City. And and I did a record. With, I did my first solo album with... Uh, with Eddie Kramer, produced all the Hendrix and Led Zeppelin, and many, many more. But um, yeah, and then too, and that's I on that tour is when I met Michael Hornbuckle, and I, I my parents had moved here, so I started. Uh, one of my brothers still lives here, and so I started meeting all these local musicians, and and Denver's blues scene at the time was really big, you know, and. Um, and you know it's still cool. There's still a lot of the same people are hanging out. You know, I mean, not a lot of people get out anymore as much as they used to. But but they, they you know they still support music out here in in the Denver area in Colorado. And so you know, and that's when I started hiring uh, you know local uh, musicians from this area, Fort Collins, Boulder, Denver, uh, you know, Colorado Springs, and and whatnot. Nice, nice, very nice. All right, so I got a couple of questions for you. Um, first question is, what is the biggest show that you've ever played as far as people attending in your career? Well, I, they started doing this thing in um, in Houston, in Galveston, Texas, right outside of Houston, which is on the water. It's on the Gulf of Mexico. And okay. it's a famous old town, you know. But anyways, so um, they started doing Galveston Mighty. Wow. And uh, yeah, I played it three years in a row, and, and, and they they paid us about seven thousand dollars a show. Let's go! And then one, and I, so we opened for Robert Cray. We opened for the Texas Tornadoes, 
And then the third year, we were opening up, and there was 500,000 people way up on this balcony. And oh, yeah, we were yes. playing. We opened up for Chicago and Fats Domino. You know, I, I, I'm sober now, but I've been sober for a while. But I had taken some psychedelics okay. at the time. And, <laughs> and, uh, and you got to remember, this is 25 years ago. So anyway, really? um, you know, I'm looking at all these people and they're like ants and I can hear them screaming. They put this banner in front of the, the balcony and, and, and they were like, move the banner. We can't see. So I, I said, Hey, somebody cut this effing banner down. Well, right next to right. The balcony next to us was the mayor and his wife. And so I got oh, a letter oh, in no. the mail said, you know, we're not going to allow you guys to play the Mardi Gras anymore. So, yeah, oh, well, no. you know, I dropped the F-bomb in front of like 250,000 people. <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, my. So that's a pretty big show. I mean, of all the people I've talked to over the this, the course of this uh, series, I mean, you know, I've gotten, you know, 15, 18, 20,000, but... I mean, a quarter of a million people, bro, that get to hear you at once, man. That's the the energy or the adrenaline rush has got to be intense from that. Well, it's pretty intense. You know, there's a half a million people that showed up for that thing. It's kind of like Sturgis. They go from about 300,000 to a little over half a million. It just depends on what year it is. You know, it's just like Daytona Bike Rally. You know, that's a big one, too. And, and um, you know, we got lucky, you know. Um, uh, you know, I played in front of a lot of big other big stages. You know, ten, fifteen thousand people in Europe, here in America. I've done a lot of shows um, with a lot of great big people I grew up, you know, and you know, just idolizing. But um, you know, that was the biggest one. Nice. All right. Of all the venues that you played in Europe and around the world, including here in America, what is your favorite venue that you've ever played? My most favorite venue I've ever played in. Um, you know, that's a tough man. Um, I'm sure would, <laughs> when you played I a lot, that's, that's good. I say Red Rocks. We did Red Rocks with Lewis and Four Wax um, uh, 20 some years, I think 20 some years ago. And it was, I, I'd never even seen a show since I've been back the last 13 months from, from Texas. I've seen like four or five shows there. But I never seen a show. I showed up. We did a week in Sturgis, and then went to Wyoming and did a a festival out in the middle of nowhere out there. And the van broke down on the way to Red Rock. We showed up. Oh, we no. showed up forty five minutes before the show, and I was covered in motor oil trying to keep keep the thing running. You know, you uh, know, Rick right. Lewis was like, "Man, you can't go on like that, dude. Look, man, travel a long way, bro." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, please don't not yeah, let me go look, on. Man, let me on. go. I got a bar of soap. I'll be right back. You know, so he threw me and Michael on. You know, me and Michael were uh, playing that gig. It was opening for Leonard Skinner and Ted Nugent, and it was great. I I loved it. I, uh, you know, there's a lot of venues that are fantastic, but there's no other venue like Red Rocks in the world. That I cannot uh, argue with. I mean. It's a natural just, I mean, you get on there and we're like 15,000 heads get to watch you from a bunch of rocks. Like, that's an amazing, amazing that cliff, that sure. wall that's that's on the uh, um, the left side, you know, um, 
Yes, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know what it is. It bounces and the way it, you know, does it. And, um, I don't know, man. I don't know what to say about the place, but it has a spiritual, uh, spiritual thing. You know, it's, it's, uh, to be able to play. I, I would agree. Uh, and as far as the sound, man, I, I got to see, um, in 2003, they did this festival. It was a one day festival. And, uh, one of the bands that played was The Doors, um, Ray Manzarek and Robbie Krieger, and they had the lead singer from Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, wow. That, that, you know, I met those guys, Blue Oyster Cult, back in uh, in, in New York. Uh, one year we were doing a benefit uh, at Chicago Blues or Manny's Car Wash or something. Cheryl Crow was there. And- wow. See, that, and that's what I mean. Like, you know, it's funny. When you, when you meet different musicians and you de- meet different people that have toured, different artists, and... You know, the stories that, I mean, we could sit here for two days and you could tell me about, you know, all the people that you've gotten to play with, you know, and all the places you've played. And what's cool, I think, about that is the fact that to you, it's it's just part of your, your life memory, right? It's not like something that you read in a book that was somebody else's story. It's your story. And when you talk about it, it's like it brings that joy kind of thing up where you're like, oh, dude, I remember that. My girlfriend is just now putting together a website and and um, uh, electronic press kits and this and that. And she's like, I need you to write down uh, your uh, entire history. And I'm like, okay. like <laughs> Everything? <and> everybody. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I start writing down all these people I grew up around playing with. I've known in, in movies and, 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 and records and concerts. And, and it was like four or five pages later. I'm like, and then I keep remembering stuff. Later on. I'm like, wow, man, what a, you know, on paper, I had a hell of a. That's crazy. All right. So of all the artists that you've gotten to play with, chord with, even just hang out with, who would you say, in your opinion, is the most down to earth, uh, you know, easy to talk to, easy to kick it with out of everyone that you've worked with? For the most part, Everybody is pretty cool. You know, you hear a lot of stories about, uh, I met Peter Green, the original Fleetwood Mac guitar player. And okay. um, we did it. We did my, my first trip to London back in 92 or 93, I think 93 maybe. Uh, we did a tribute album to him because he was a grave digger. He, he dug graves in, in London. For twenty minutes. Wow, that's morbid. And, um, yeah, wow. And he just he didn't play, and so meeting him and playing shows with him, and actually I was a label mate. I was on a label with him too. Label He's brothers, down nice. Tim Simmons from Savoy Brown, uh, Roger Earl, uh, George Thorogood, uh, you know Leo Lyons and Rick Lee from Ten Years After. Uh, God, I mean, the, the list goes on. I've met so many people. It's really hard to say, you know. Um, there's so many great players out there, and they're just super nice people. They're just really great. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I agree. You know, I've done security for 22-plus years, and I've gotten to work with really, um, you know, really cool artists. And you're right, man. When you just get them in an environment where you're not yeah. fanboying out, but you're actually just kind of hanging out and, you know, you're talking about – you know a common ground in this case music 
you know, I've learned too that, you know, when you just act like they're a human, not act, I'm sorry, when you treat them like a human and not like some yeah. God, because granted, there are some that have that ego that expect that. But for the most part, you know, I would say 95% of the artists I've worked with over the years like that, you know, just talking to them regularly. I mean, I had a, uh, I had a conversation with Bobby Van Zant back in 2014 oh, wow. and, um, we're standing there backstage, you know, and I'm, I'm standing there making 10 bucks an hour. So, you know, this story and $10 will get me a, a dinner yeah. at the filet. But the the memory was he walks up and he's sitting there and he's pulling his hair back, you know, into a ponytail. And, and we're just kind of shooting the breeze. And he starts kind of blowing his nose and he's he looks at me and he's like, this damn cold. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm just kind of like letting him talk. And he said, you know, but the show must go on. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And he looks at me right in the eye and he goes, I wonder who said that. And I turned to him and I said, well, you just did. And he <laughs> smiles and he goes, you're damn right. <laughs> yeah. And w- one of my favorite songs of theirs, and it's you know a pretty common tune, is Simple oh, Man. Yeah. So when they played that, and they had three guitar players for this show. I don't know if that's their normal touring yeah, like, that's, lineup. Yeah, that's the normal thing since uh, oh, okay. late 60s. Okay, so... You know, they get they play simple, man. Of course, you know, I'm on the side singing my heart out, you know, and, and then they kind of took a little intermission right after that song, and he comes off the stage, and, like, his eyes are wide, and he's like, dude, that was intense, bro. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> agreed. So, I mean, it's cool, like you said, when, when, you get, uh, when you get to work with people that you, you know, admire and you really, you know, they, they influence you, that's really cool, man, to sit with them and just get to, ch- you know, chop it up. Well, yeah, you know, you got to remember, too, that, you know, I mean, a lot of them have humbled up because of the state of the music business. Um, but, you know, before when they're so busy and there's so much money being generated, it's such a big business, you know, and, and they can be you can get grumpy real fast. Yeah. And so a lot of those stories about guys being jerks, you know, is, you know, it's it's just, hey, you caught them on the wrong day, man. I mean, they're just human beings that practiced their butts off to learn how to do something. Right. Yep. I agree. And, you know, you're right. That's, for the most part, fans that have a bad experience with their favorite artist, you know, every situation is different. But I, I would agree that, you know, they're human beings, man. So, you know, if you're sitting on a tour bus for, you know, six weeks and you ain't been home for, you yeah. know, a month and, you know, you're sleeping on a tour bus or you're sleeping in the back of a van or even a car... Or you know, and you're playing shows, you know, every other night. I mean, it just gets tiresome and cumbersome, and you know, yeah, like you said, people are human beings that do something that not a lot of people can do. So, but that's cool, man. All right, final question, and then we'll wrap this up. Who is out of all the guitarists that you've ever played with? Who is your favorite that you've cut heads with? You know, uh, that's that's a tough one as well. <laughs> I'm um, sure. You know, there's some local guys like Kirby Velarde and Michael Hornbuckle and Steve Crenshaw. I cut heads with Steve Crenshaw last night at one of my blues jams I do. Nice. And, um, you know, those guys, they, you know, they've been amazing. They, they've been money-making material. You know, they should have been signed 20-something years ago. You know, I got to cut heads with Big Head Todd. Yeah, buddy. Nice. On stage with Can Heat. Okay. And, um... We were doing a tribute. It was a Fillmore West in San Francisco. We were doing a tribute concert to John Lee Hooker because John Lee was a friend of ours and and his daughter and his family, you know. And 
And we both got on stage with Can Heat, and I just went straight. I had a few drinks in me, so I went straight for his throat. But he came back swinging. Nice. He came back punching. I just saw him at, uh, you know, a concert here in town. And, um, and you know, he's still great. You know, he uh, he kills it on record. I mean, his records are so pristine. And, you know, th- I mean, there's so many others that uh, – that I've played with that just beat me. I played a, I played with George Thurgood one time and we both were doing this Elmore James stuff for hours on end. Oh, yeah. Wow. I got a new record coming out. In fact, next month that I've recorded with his rhythm section and uh, Roger Earl from fog hats on it. There's a bunch of people on John May. One of John Mayhall's guitar players is on it. And uh, wow. yeah, George Thurgood, man, we were playing a, an NYPD benevolence fund at Manny's Car Wash in Manhattan, and there was two people in there. One was the bartender, and one was the waitress. <laughs> oh wow, that's a but big yeah, crowd! You know, it right? was fun just getting up there cutting heads, and and then that list goes on. Man, I've been invited to cut heads with people um, from all over the world, and uh, you know, I've been really lucky in my life. You know, that's awesome, bro. All right, so you said you have a record release uh, coming up soon. Are you having a record release party, or what's, uh, what's the um, Well, plan we there? might have a small one. <laughs> the thing is that we've got some label interest, actually, and it's that's pretty crazy considering I'm almost 50 years old. And, and um, you know, for, for uh, somebody my age, I mean, the blues is the blues, and, and blues rock and, and that stuff and jazz and, and funk you know that's a different thing it's not a pop scene so i don't have to be skinny young and pretty anymore so yeah we're gonna talk about uh you know doing a small record release party in town and like a listening thing and playing and bringing in a bunch of local musicians to to sit in and and support you know i mean that's my biggest thing is supporting the music scene you know a lot of people are like oh you tag in people uh, to 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 steal their their listeners and I'm like nah dude that's part of it they're stealing mine too Come yeah on. and 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 they're not stealing them I'm giving them to them and I'm and they're giving me theirs and I promote I promote uh, people I promote people from out of state but in state you know I really want to promote the blues scene and the and the jazz scene and the funk scene and the rock even the country scene and hip-hop scene it don't matter man as long as it's music and entertainment but for real man you know and and so you know i think it's a family thing and it needs to be a family thing and we need to support each other and and that's kind of what uh that's kind of what i'm about man and and, uh i love the people i love the fans i love the the uh, artists you know and and I love the the people like you in the business, man. You know the people that are doing the podcast, the people that are doing the radio stuff. You know the people that are that are doing commercials and advertisement and booking and ev- all of it, every aspect. And that's uh, like you said, bro. You know, I've never heard that uh, somebody say, you know, you're stealing their fans because, you know, when you're doing like-minded things like that, you know, you're you're creating art, you're creating music. The way I look at it, it's like. You know, I get to enjoy a little bit of what you're doing. I get to enjoy a little bit of what Hornbuckle's doing. 
I get to enjoy a little bit of what you know XYZ over here yeah. is doing. You are a unique artist. So when you put out a record, it's like, I'm going to rock your record, right? And then I'm going to go over here the next day or next month, and I might rock a little bit of this over here. But, you know, good music, I'm going to come back to it. I mean, let's be honest, bro. You know, I, I'm sure you could list off a half a dozen songs that you know you probably listened to a thousand times just because it was that good, and you just had to hear it over and over again. So, I I appreciate the, uh, you know, the local uh, artists and the, and the artists that have have gotten to see the world say let's let's support local music because without local music you can't be if you can't make it locally you can't make it globally. So, you know, and I've my friend always says that you know. So I really appreciate artists that you know really still want to work with the people man that's impressive brother for sure well yeah man i mean that's how you learn and that's how you you know that's how you you you, you do the thing i mean you know you, you you're not you're not going to just sit down and and by osmosis learn how to play an instrument man you gotta you gotta study and you gotta hang out with other people that study. very true that's very true so when, when's the record coming out, man? When's uh, when's the we release? We finished the artwork. We mastered it, and uh, we put some local artists on it. Um, in fact, Michael Ornbuckle's keyboard player and harmonica players got added to a couple of tracks. Let's and, go! And it's called Big Converse and Friends because it's it's a bunch of famous guys that got together, and, and they, it's it's ten years old, but it's a bunch of famous guys that got together, brought me out to New York, and said, "Hey, man, you need to start playing music again." Because I didn't play for 15 years over the last 20 years. I played a little bit. You know, I was in and out of trouble. And um, and I joined the Army for a little while. And, and you know, and, and, and they, they finally said, hey, dude, get it together and let's make an album. What's the name of it again? What, I, you, when you said it earlier, you kind of, it, it cut you out. So Bent, Converse, and Friends. And so the Friends are... Yeah, they're all classic Vince Converse rockers. and friends. Okay, okay. They're all classic rockers and blues guys, and um, you know um, the keyboard player uh, Tommy Mandel. He played with uh, he played with uh, Dire Straits. He played with John Hyde. He played with Brian Adams. He even played with Cyndi Lauper. Wow, this guy. I we grew up watching him on MTV, and and I didn't even know him until I I met him and he and he did the album. You know. And, um, that's impressive, man, for sure. Yeah, you know, it's pretty cool. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of, I mean, I was on an album with Jeff Beck and Gary Moore and, and, uh, and Ginger Baker and, and oh, Cream, right? Cream, right, that's, yeah. yeah. You know, Jack Bruce. And I've done a lot of cool things, you know, but, uh, um, I still strive to learn and get better and, and, and meet more people and do more projects. And that's, uh, that's just the way it is, you know. For sure, man. I I love that humility, bro. That that humbleness is, uh, you know, that's infectious for sure. Yeah. Bro. Well, hey, man, we're out of time tonight, but uh, I just want to thank you so much, man. Vince Converse, uh, he's got a new record coming out. Vince Converse and Friends, go check it out. Um, you can like or subscribe. TK's A Brigade on Anchor, iHeartRadio, Apple, Google, Amazon. Uh, leave a comment or a question if you've got any questions for Vince or you want to know where his shows are. Do you have a website that people can check out, Vince? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, but I've got a, I got my personal page. You know, if you want to hang out, it's just Vince Converse. Um, then I have Vince Converse and Big Brother, and then I have VinceConverse.com. So anyone that's listening and wants to check out more of uh, Vince, man, go, go to VinceConverse.com and I'm sure he would love to uh, hear your feedback and uh, 
sounds like you like people, so I'm betting that, uh, yeah, man, you're going to get some more fans and get to hang out with some more people, brother, for sure, man. Right on, TK. Thank you, brother. And you take care of yourself. I appreciate you doing this for us, guys. Hey, man, I appreciate you too, brother, for sure. You've been listening to TK's A-Brigade. You can find it on every major platform, Spotify, Anchor, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Google, and Apple. Go like and subscribe, share, leave a comment, leave a question. Hit the support button. It's a dollar a month. Help a brother out. Next week, we are going to dive into a conversation with a friend of mine who I've known for a while. Her name is Marcel. I called her up and said, hey, I'd love to get you on and talk about your musical journey. She said, well, hey, uh, my boyfriend Scott is also an accomplished writer and a musician. He would love to jump on and share a little bit about his musical journey. And I said, that's sweet. So we're going to continue on with the music series next week. And until then, take it easy.